dim in light of your glory and grace. In comparison to who you are, the trials of this life are nothing. So Father, help us and strengthen us to walk in the center of your will. Father, I pray for our time in the Word tonight. Lord, we come humble and desperate before you. Because, Lord, we know that man has no answer, but you are the answer. And so, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in a mighty way, that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's good to see both Robert and Pastor Joe back with us today. Amen. Both of them spent some time in the hospital. We've had a lot of others that were sick. It's good to see all of you who are sick back with us. Our God is a healing God. I want to encourage you, next Sunday night, we're going to be, we've had our, our worship and prayer time on Sunday. It was fantastic. I was blessed. This Sunday night, we're going to be hearing a message from one of the pastor's conferences. It's a message on the importance of the Word of God taught by Sandy Adams out of Atlanta, Georgia. And it was such a powerful message that I had copies of it made three years ago when he shared it and sent it to every pastor in Santa Cruz County. And I received a great response. And I would encourage you, you will absolutely be blessed and encouraged. And then the following Sunday night, we're going to be showing a movie. And rarely do I get excited about movies, but I'm excited about this one. If you haven't seen it, it's called Facing the Giants. And I don't love it just because it's a football movie, though it is. It is a Christian movie, uh, you know, unlike Jesus of Nazareth or the Passion of the Christ. It's set in modern day and is one of the most powerful pictures of what God can do in the life of somebody who trusts in Him. And I, I just want to encourage you, you will absolutely be blessed, and I want to encourage you to bring people. We're going to be advertising at different places, and, and again, it will be free like everything always is here, so that's a week from Sunday night. So be praying about those things, come on out, you'll be blessed. All right, let's catch us up, review by what we've seen so far in the first two chapters. Now, in the first chapter we saw how God can use difficulties and trials of life to prepare us to be used by him first samuel remember it starts everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes it's right after the time of the judges so everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes the people of israel are in total rebellion against god at this point and sadly we're going to see also that even those that's serving in the tabernacle the high priests are also in a place of rebellion against god But if you remember real quickly, I won't take a lot of time, but there was a woman by the name of Hannah. And Hannah was a godly woman in the midst of a godless people, but at the same time, she was going through great difficulty. And the difficulty that she had was she was unable to have children. In those days, being barren was considered a curse by God. So she was cursed of God in the eyes of the world. Certainly that was not God's desire. So her husband, Elkanah, decides, since my wife can't have children, I'll just do the, the rational, logical thing, and I'll just go get myself another wife. I was kidding. Okay, don't do that. So he goes out and gets another wife and starts having children by her, which only makes it even worse for poor Hannah, because now not only is she unable to have children, but her husband is having, other, is having children by her rival wife, as she's referred to in chapter 1. Now the sad part about all of this is that during it, she's being called and cursed and mocked by Penina, the other wife. And poor Hannah is brought to the end of herself. But all the while, God was working a good plan in her heart. Even in the midst of her husband's disobedience, and in the midst of her barrenness, God was preparing her for something great. If you're here tonight and you're going through difficulty, God is preparing you for something great. 
God will use it for his glory if you will but let him. And so Hannah comes to the place where she's so desperate for a child, she comes to the tabernacle at the time of sacrifice, and she says, she starts crying out to God, saying, Lord, if you'll just give me a child, I'll dedicate his life to you. At that point, Eli, the high priest, comes out and sees her praying and thinks that she's drunk. Now again, as I've said the last couple of weeks, if the high priest seeing someone pray with fervency thinks they're drunk, it means he's not seeing fervent prayer very often. And the truth is that's what was happening in Israel. They were so far away from God that even the high priest didn't recognize prayer. Just like in the book of Acts when they mistake, they mistake the being filled with the Holy Spirit with drunkenness. The same thing is happening here. But Eli, even in his rebellion, comes out and says, Oh, God will answer your prayer. And she believes it and she goes home and sure enough she gives birth to a son and she names him Samuel, which means heard of God or asked of God. And she doesn't renege on her promise. And we do that, don't we, sometimes? We promise, oh Lord, if you'll just let me, then I'll... And then it happens, and now we've got it, so we don't necessarily follow through. Well, Hannah did. And this was difficult because she kept her son home for a few years. We don't know how many, three, four, I'm not sure. But not very many, because as soon as she had weaned him, she then, at the next time of sacrifice, took him up to the tabernacle and gave him into the care of this man, Eli. So in the midst of difficulty, God was preparing her because God was going to use this young boy Samuel in a mighty way, and we're going to continue to see that in tonight's text. But she takes him and gives him to this ungodly man by the name of Eli. Now, if you were here on last Wednesday or last Sunday, because we looked at it again, we saw a contrast in raising godly kids in an ungodly world. And we saw the difference between Hannah and Eli. Hannah was a praying woman, and Eli was a compromising man. Hannah gave her son completely to the Lord, and Eli was just too tired to deal with it. And I believe that's a problem that we can often have as parents. We can get too tired to discipline our kids. Don't ever do that. Amen? Don't be so weary. Oh, I'm just too tired. Let them have it. Give them, uh, let them have suckers for breakfast. I'm tired. I don't want to deal with it, right? Don't do that. We, you know what? Because as we saw last week, some of those key points was, And the reason that God used her in such a mighty way and she had such a godly son in an ungodly world was she was a praying mom, but also she taught her children the true meaning of success. We saw it in the text. And we saw God doing that in Samuel's heart, that the true meaning of success is not worldly possessions, but godly character. It doesn't matter how much of the world stuff you accumulate, if you don't know God, you are truly poor. But if you know God and you have nothing this world has to offer, you are rich in Christ. And so we saw where true character comes from and the true meaning of success. We saw that we are to keep rededicating our children to the Lord because every year she would go back up to see her son and bring him a new robe. And as I said the last couple of weeks, how hard that must have been to go up there wondering how tall he was going to be. She hasn't seen him in a year, knitting the robe for him or whatever, however she made it and wondering, oh man, I wonder what he looks like. And then seeing him and year by year, no doubt with the temptation to take him home. He's five now, he's six now, he's seven now. But she left him there in the hands of Eli and in a sense rededicating or giving her children back up to the Lord every single year. And you know, I think it's a great thing for us to do as parents. Continue giving and rededicating our children to the Lord. Then we saw that we were to follow up our words with actions. You need to love your kids enough. Because remember, last week we saw that Eli had some really good words for his sons. He said, what you're doing is wicked. I'm paraphrasing. What you're doing is wicked, and you know what? If you're doing this against God, you're going to come under the judgment of God. But then he didn't do anything about it. And we know later in the text, because then the man of God shows up and speaks to Eli and says to him, 
you know what, why is it you've kicked against the sacrifices of God, and why do you honor your kids above the Lord? When you do not discipline your children and raise them in a godly way and set a godly standard, you are elevating your kids above God. And we must never do that. And then lastly, we saw we're to warn our children of the high cost of rebellion. And it's true that our kids need to know that sin indeed does have consequences. Now, that brings us to chapter 3. And as we come to chapter 3, we're going to see that Samuel is starting to grow up in the home. And remember that the way the last chapter left off is the man of God told Eli, because of his rebellion, that both of his sons were going to die in a single day. And that he was going to be removed from the priesthood, at least his line, those descendants after him, none of them would be priests anymore. And that those who were in his line would all die at a young age. All of this because he did not stand for God with his family. Remember, he was both the high priest and a father. So to his children, he was both their father and their boss, and he blew it in both cases. So now we come to tonight's text. And I titled the message, if you're a note taker, Responding to the Call of God. Now, understand this. One of the biggest questions I get, and you probably get, and that you probably have, because I have it at times as well, is how can I know God's calling on my life? How do I know what God wants me to do next? Isn't that a question we all have from time to time? What is God's will? What is God's heart? What do you think God's will is for my life, Pastor? I hear that often. Now, these are great questions that we've all no doubt asked, but just as last week's text gave us very practical applications on how to raise godly kids, so too I believe we can learn a lot about hearing from God by looking at tonight's text. So, if you're taking notes, there's five points in tonight's, or actually four points in tonight's message. So, responding to the call of God. How can I prepare myself to hear from the Lord? How can I prepare myself to hear from the Lord? Number one, by having an attentive ear, being ready and available to, to hear from the Lord. We're going to see that in tonight's text. Being ready and available to hear from the Lord. You know, often, the problem is not that God's not speaking, it's that we're not listening. Amen? So we need to have an attentive ear and be ready to receive and hear from the Lord. We're going to see four points in that first section. Whom did he speak to? When did he speak? Where did the Lord speak? And why did he speak? And we're going to see those have clear applications to our lives as well. So point number one, by having an attentive ear, being ready to hear from the Lord. Number two, by having an obedient heart or an obedient will. A heart submitted to do whatever the Lord commands. You know, sometimes we go to the Lord and we want to hear from him, but we kind of limit what we want to hear from him. You know, Lord, here's what I'm praying for. Now, this is the answer I want. So give me the answer I want. And then we don't hear because he gives us the answer that he desires and we just let it go by. So part of us hearing from God is not only having an ability or a readiness to hear from him, an attentive ear. It's also by having an obedient heart or obedient will. We need to come to the point where whatever God tells us, we say, okay, Lord, that's good enough for me. Because you know what's best for me. So it's not having conditional hearing from God. Lord, tell me when it's time for me to win the lotto, then I'll be ready. You know, Lord, tell me when it's time. No, instead of, Lord, your will be done, not mine. Then we need not only an obedient will, but a humble heart to hear from the Lord. And when we hear from the Lord, we should never respond in arrogance, but always in humility. If God shows us something great from His Word or gives us direction for our life, it's got nothing to do with us and everything to do with Him. Amen? And He alone should be glorified. Because God has given us clear direction. We don't walk around and go, yeah, you know, Lord's speaking to me. Let me just tell you. 
you walked like I did, you'd hear from God. You don't hear from God like I hear from God? Oh, man, what kind of heathen are you? You know, we don't need to be like that. Our heart ought to be, man, God has shown me a truth and I'm blown away by God's incredible grace that he would speak to me in such a way. That needs to be our heart, and we'll see that in Samuel. And then lastly, a godly walk. If you want to hear from the Lord, you need to be walking with the Lord. It's amazing how you can hear from somebody you're walking next to. Amen? If you live 47 miles away from somebody, you're probably not going to hear them talking. But if you're walking with them, you can hear them whisper. Amen? And so part of hearing from God is a godly walk. So let's begin responding to the call of God. How can I prepare myself to hear from the Lord? First, by having an attentive ear, being ready and available to hear what God has to say. And first of all, we're going to see who He speaks to. Who does He speak to? should be an example for us. Look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy, Samuel. Now. Now means there's been an expanse of time from, from the last chapter. Josephus, the Jewish historian, believes, and some other commentators believe, that at this point, Samuel is about 12 years old. So some time has gone by, and we know some time has gone by, because we're going to see the age of Eli's death is 98. So some time has gone by, maybe seven or eight years. He's been there some length of time. And the boy Samuel, remember, he's been living in the midst of godless people and a complacent and compromising high priest. And Hophni and Phinehas are sleeping with women and stealing from the people when they come up to make sacrifice. And in the middle of all that, Samuel's ministering to the Lord. This young man, this young boy, is ministering to the Lord in the midst of ungodly people. And what an incredible picture of this discipline of this child. And and again, living in this environment and standing for the Lord. This ought to be an encouragement to all you junior hires over there that God can use you in your school and you don't have to be 40 before God can use you. Amen? You know, you have so many young people in the Bible that God uses and Samuel is certainly one of them. The boy Samuel, this 11, 12, 13-year-old boy right in that age is ministering. He's being faithful. So note who the Lord speaks to. He speaks to a child in the midst of a godless people. And what my heart went right to is the Bible tells us we need to come to the Lord with childlike faith. We need to come to Him like a child. We need to come to Him not with our wisdom and our arrogance and our understanding. We need to come to Him like a child would come to His Father and say, Lord, I don't understand. I need Your help. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me direction. And Lord, whatever You say, I trust You. Isn't it amazing how when your kids are three and four years old, they absolutely trust You? I can tell my kids, jump off the edge. We're on the deep end. Jump off. And they just jump. They just trust dad's going to catch them, you know? They just believe that dad's there for them. They get to be a little older and start figuring out a little bit about life, and maybe they don't trust dad all the time anymore, right? But that childlike faith says, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe in you. You know what's sad? May we not be so, quote, mature in our faith that we lose the childlike faith, amen? That we get to the point where I've been walking with God for a while, and I've seen it doesn't always work out that way, so God might do it, he might not. Hey, you know what? I love the infectiousness of brand new believers sometimes. They're born again, they've been filled with the Spirit of the living God, it's brand new to them, and they're like, dude, I'm going to hell, you don't understand, I've been born again. Last week I was lost, now I'm saved. And you know what, I believe our God can do anything. And you know, we need a little more of that in the church today, amen? Need a little more that God can do absolutely anything. That childlike faith, He comes to a child who will not question Him. A child who is being faithful to minister when nobody else is. A child who was raised in a godly home. 
for just a few years and then dedicated to the Lord. And here he is, someone that God can use. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. So he speaks, who does he speak to? An attentive child who had been birthed in faith, nurtured in godliness, and dedicated to the Lord. And it would be this attentive young boy that God would speak to. Not the complacent priest or his rebellious sons. The Lord would minister to this young boy who was willing and ready to hear from God. Not demanding of him based on what he thinks he deserves from God, this young boy, but in brokenness and humility, fully trusting in God. So not only did whom did he speak, but when did he speak? Look what it says. Now the boy, Samuel, ministered to the Lord. So when did God speak to him? When he was ministering to the Lord. Still a young boy, but following in the pattern of godliness he had been taught by his parents. The same term is used later when it says in Exodus, Aaron and his sons ministered to the Lord at the consecration of the priests. In Acts 13, same same wording in Greek. Paul and Barnabas ministered to the Lord in preparation before him being sent out as missionaries. They were ministering to the Lord, not ministering for the Lord. When did God speak to him? Ministering to the Lord. When we minister to the Lord, when we are just humble before Him, how do you minister to the Lord today? Prayer, worship, quiet times of intimacy. Can I encourage you to pray and spend part of your prayer time saying nothing? Spend part of your prayer time saying nothing and listening to nothing else. Amen? Don't have the radio on or the TV on. Just stop and be still and sit at His feet. It's when we are ministering to the Lord that He will often reach down and speak to us, give direction to us for our lives. We will hear that still, small voice. Sometimes we can't hear His voice because we got so much noise going on all around us. We need those unhurried times with God. And Samuel ministered to the Lord. And how did he do it? By honoring Eli. He honored Eli, and that's how he ministered to the Lord. The man that God had placed an authority over him. And you and I minister to the Lord, not only in our quiet times, in our prayer times, in our fellowship times, in our worship times, but also as we are faithful to the authorities God has placed over us. Your parents, your teachers, your bosses, government officials, you minister to the Lord before them, and when you do, God is glorified. So, we see when he ministered, or when he spoke to him, was when he was ministering to the Lord. You know, I find this interesting. It's not very often that people are totally struggling with direction in their life when they're spending a lot of time in God's presence. Now, sometimes they do. Sometimes it's God, you know, wants to keep you there for a while. He wants you to keep coming back and keep seeking His face and keep drawing near to Him, and then He will speak to you. And then it says this, He ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. God's revealing truth, both in His written word and through prophecy, was almost non-existent. 
It, didn't, it was almost like it didn't exist at all in Israel. Why? Because of the rebellion of Israel, because everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, because of the condition of Eli's house. A complacent and compromising priest and sons who were walking in rebellion and the tabernacle being a den of thieves and a house of harlotry. And in the midst of this rebellion, they became deaf to the voice of God. So here's how not to hear from God. Walk in rebellion. When you walk in rebellion, sin separates us from God. Now, some people struggle. Well, pastor, I'm born again, right? Yes. Going to heaven, right? Yes. Fill us for living God. Yes. Sins forgiven, past, present, and future. Yes. Do we still need to come confessing when we sin as believers? What's the answer? And we do. It's conviction of the Holy Spirit that we come before Him. And when we come before Him, we are restoring that right fellowship with Him. God can't have sin in His presence. And so we need to come repeatedly, beginning right yet again with the Lord. And so they were in rebellion and become deaf to the voice of God and to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And God desires to reveal Himself to a lost and dying world, but He's looking for willing vessels to proclaim His truth. Guys, the world is in rebellion against God. And sadly, much of the church today is in rebellion against God. And God is looking for those vessels that He can speak mightily through in the midst of a generation when the word of God has become rare. With both the priest and the people in rebellion, there were no attentive ears to hear from the Lord. So notice who he spoke to. Samuel, young boy with childlike faith. When did he speak? As Samuel ministered to the Lord. Now look at verse 2 and we'll see where he spoke. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place... And when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord. You're going to notice that where he speaks to Samuel is in the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is where is the meeting place of God's people. Today we are the meeting place wherever we go, wherever we gather together. And one of the main places God will speak to us is when we're in fellowship with one another. God will speak to us through the Word. He'll speak to us through, through times of worship. He'll use other people in this room to minister to you after church tonight. They'll come up and just share with you, and God will speak through them. Now look what it says about Eli. It came to pass at that time that Eli was lying down in his place when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. This is a picture not of him physically, just physically, but also spiritually. This guy's heart was dim. And it wasn't just dim because he was old. It was dim because he had grown weak in his faith. His eyes were no longer attentive to the word of God. And he was walking in darkness. And look what it says. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord. Now one of the priest's jobs was this. He was to go and he was to make sure that the golden lampstand never went out. Why? Because who is the light of the world? That was weak. I know you, are you guys napping or what's up? Who's the light of the world? Very good. Now, he's the light of the world and the golden lampstand was to be constantly going and they put oil in the lampstand and they were to trim the wicks every day and they were to leave it lit up. And it represented the presence of Almighty God in Israel. But it says the lamp was about to go out because his eyes were so dim that he had stopped and was not being efficient in going in and doing his priestly duty. And because of it, the light was going out. And this is a picture, again, not just of what was physically happening, but what was spiritually happening in Israel. The light was going out. Maybe in some of your walks tonight, the light's going out. 
Need a little more oil in the lamp, amen? Remember that song when you were a kid? Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. You ever you know that song? And the oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit, amen? And that because they were turning away from God, the Spirit of God was no longer upon the people, it was no longer upon Israel, and it was all fading out because of a high priest who was napping, who was not standing firm in his faith and was not doing what God had called him to do. And again, it was a representation of the darkness spiritually of what was going on in Israel. Israel, uh, Eli had grown so blind that he left what was left to his care. The light was about to go out. But God's plan would not be detoured by Eli's faithlessness, but instead he's going to raise up someone in his place. Guys, here's the deal. God's going to get his will done with or without you. Amen? God's not going to let you blow it. So, well, you know, hundreds more people would have got saved if you'd gotten involved. But since you didn't, they're all going to go to hell. That's not what's going to happen. But let me say this. Shouldn't we take an active role in what God wants to do? What's the answer? Of course we should. We need to be proactive in what God is doing. That that should not be an excuse for us to do nothing. Well, you know, they're going to get saved anyway. No, we need to be obedient because I want to be a part of what God is doing. The tabernacle of the Lord, it says there, was where the ark of God was. Now, what was the ark? Remember the ark was the place where the law was kept? The the Ten Commandments, the, the rod of Aaron, right? And what else? And some manna. All of it pointing to Jesus because He is the Word. He's the bread of life. And he is our good shepherd. Amen? Now all of it points to Christ. And yet put on top of it was the mercy seat. Because the law, if you look directly at the law, it would kill you. Because the law cannot save you. It can only show you that you are a sinner in need of a savior. So the mercy seat was placed on top of the law. And it was that mercy seat which sprinkled with blood. That was a sacrifice that redeemed us from the sin that the law revealed in us. On top of it were also the cherubim, again a picture of angels on each end. And what's interesting, as we have seen, we've talked about before, that when they went into the tomb after Jesus rose from the dead, they saw a cloth wrapped up, an angel at the head and at the foot, and blood in the middle where the cloth, in, where the cloth had touched the, the middle of the, the tomb. Now again, we see that in the ark. We see that exact picture of the resurrection. So the ark was there. The presence of God was there. This is the place. The the word is there. The law is there. And sadly, and we also know that on the sides of it, scrolls of the word were there. And you know what? They had the word with them, but they didn't have the word in them. What's happening was the people were in rebellion because the word of God was with them, but it wasn't in them. And the same problem exists in the world today. 87% of the people in this country say they have a Bible in their house. More than 50% have more than two Bibles in their house, and yet less than 12% say they read their Bible on a daily basis. So having, you can have the big family Bible, and that's not going to save you. Amen? Some people have the big, oh, I'll get the big family Bible. This is huge. The Lord comes back, he'll be totally fooled and thinking I'm saved when he sees my Bible, right? But the truth is, it's not having the Word on the counter, it's having the Word in your heart. It's being someone who's spending time in the Word and feeding on the Word. And this was happening in Israel. They had it all available, but it wasn't in their lives and in their hearts. Often where God ministers and speaks to us is while we're in the midst, again, in the midst of God's people, and it's here as we're in His midst, as in the tabernacle, 
that God will speak to each of us. Now, the Lord speaks to us more than we think. Often, again, as I said earlier, we're not listening. It's interesting throughout the Bible that people didn't recognize the Lord often. They're on the road to Emmaus. They're walking along, and they're talking to Jesus. And they thought he was a stranger. Remember that? What about the apostles when they're in the storm? And they see Jesus walking on the water, and what did they think he was? A ghost. What about when Mary came to the tomb? She saw Jesus risen from the dead. She thought he was the gardener. Now here's the thing. God is speaking. We're often just missing it because we're not looking for him. You know why they missed him in the boat? They weren't looking for Jesus. They should have been. Why did Mary miss him in the the garden? Because she was not looking for him when she should have been. He's a risen and living Savior. He'd already promised it. And guys, we miss him in our daily life because we're not looking for him. We're too busy looking at our circumstances when we ought to be looking at God. We don't recognize Him or His voice because we're not looking for Him. And it says there, the tabernacle of the Lord where God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and He answered, Here I am. Now we've seen whom He spoke to, right? But now we're going to see why He spoke. Why is He speaking? You know, God doesn't just talk to you with no reason. When God speaks, when God directs, He, of course, has intimate fellowship telling you that He loves you, but when He's talking to you in this way, He's got some direction for your life. He wants to lead and guide your every footstep. And notice how Samuel responds. The Lord called Samuel and He answered, Here I am. We need some more of that in the church today. Amen? Not just a minute. Maybe later. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Yes, Lord. Here I am. Here I am leads us to believe. God spoke to him, I believe, in an audible voice. Samuel certainly heard it. And we're going to see in a few verses, he did not know the Lord yet. And that's kind of puzzling. We'll talk about that. But he heard him, and his immediate response was, not, what do you want? Can you imagine if every time you called your kids, they ran into the room, here I am. You'd all fall over and die, wouldn't you? <laughs> Call your kids by name. Here I am. What do you need? Instead, it's, what do you want? I'm watching something. Call me during the commercial. And you know what? We do that to God. And, it, and we need to learn from Samuel's example. Samuel has an attentive ear and an immediate response. You know, sometimes we miss what God wants to do with us because it's right now and we are too busy and we miss it. How many of you know you've missed divine appointments? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're just not paying attention because you do. Isn't that true? You know God's given you a divine appointment and you get too busy doing something else and it's by you. And sometimes we don't have a chance to make it up. Sadly, I had a guy that I was witnessing to in Seattle, Washington that we had been talking about the Lord but I had never really given him the complete gospel and we talked about it and talked about it we finally set up a time to go to lunch and he knew i was going to share the gospel with him and he was available and ready for it and the night before our lunch he was killed in a car accident and i was devastated now i trust that god is sovereign and he knows what he's doing but i'll tell you what it's very rare now that if i get an opportunity to share my faith i share it immediately not a week from wednesday at four o'clock you're here, you're standing here now, let's talk about it now. Amen? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. 
And we need to have that heart of Samuel, that attentive and ready heart. Here I am, Lord. When he calls us, we respond immediately. It says there, verse 5, So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Now notice again the responsiveness of this young, this young boy. He doesn't go, Yes, you did. I heard you. You might have been talking in your sleep, but you said something because I heard. That's not what he does. This is Eli, the guy who's totally blowing it, the guy who's going blind, and Samuel's having to go in and light the stuff for him because he can't do it because he's napping and he's growing dim. But he still shows him respect. Even though, from our perspective, he's not worthy of it, but he was the man that God had placed in authority over his life. And so Eli says, I didn't talk to you, go lay down. Okay. And again, an attentive ear, a responsive attitude, but notice also, he has a submitted heart. Okay. And he goes back and lays down. Verse 6, Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel! So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now, he could have started getting frustrated right about now. What, are you blind as well as senile at this point? Because you, somebody said something. But don't you you love how God continues to call us again and again and again? Aren't you glad that He's faithful to continue to call us even when we've missed it? And again, He comes again in faithful obedience. He's not complaining. He's not questioning. He's attentive. He's responsive. He's submitted. And it wasn't Eli who called Him, but God. And you know what? We're not called to follow men, but God. Amen? Men don't call men, God calls men. Men don't call women, God calls women. So you need to hear from the Lord. Now God may use a man or a woman to reveal His calling to you, but ultimately the calling does not come from that person, it comes directly from the Lord. If God has not called you to it, it's going to be a disaster. So you better make sure you've heard from the Lord and aren't being propped up by a man or a woman or a group of people. And so it's awesome to think about the fact that the creator of the universe is calling this boy by name. But you know what? He calls every single one of us by name. Do you ever stop and think about that? Next time you're having a quiet time, think about the fact that God not only knows your name, He knew what your name was going to be before the foundation of the world. He hung on the cross and thought about you by name. He's numbered the hairs on your head. You are His treasured possession. And He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life. And He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. That's the God we serve. And that ought to be an encouragement to us. Amen? He knows my name. And He calls me by name. And He's very interested in every aspect of my life. Every bit of it. What a gracious God. He's called us by name into His family. And He calls us into a specific ministry. Now look what it says. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Now this seems puzzling, because he's already been ministering to the Lord, hasn't he? He's already been serving. You know what it is? He's been raised in a godly home, or you know, starting off with his parents. And now God's had his hand upon him while he's serving in the tabernacle. But there comes a point where it has to go from being mom and dad's faith, or the priest's faith, to being my faith can't be the pastor's faith or mom and dad's faith. God has no grandchildren. And it's come to that place for Samuel where now it's his time to make his own decision about God. 
I used to wonder and pray that it wouldn't happen, but I used to wonder what would happen to my children if I died when they were young. Would they continue to serve God? Now, I don't, I'm not the one that makes my kids serve God. But as parents, we can certainly have a, good, a great impact on putting them in an environment where they can learn of God. Amen? Bring them in an environment where they can learn of God, be taught the things of God, and grow in the truth of who He is. And you can have godly standards in your home. But at some point, it's got to go from being my faith to being my children's faith. Where they stand for God on their own, with or without their father. And that's where it's coming to that time with Samuel. Samuel did not know the Lord, though his mom had conceived him upon a promise from God. There was a vow to serve God, a Nazarite vow upon his life. From that very early time, he was a fulfillment of prayer and, and, and prophecy. And upon being brought up at the time of sacrifice, he was set apart unto the Lord. And at, in the midst of all that, it still needed to be a time where he came to hear God's voice on his own. And that has to happen in the life of every one of us. Now look what it says in verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. The Lord keeps calling. He keeps knocking, doesn't he? He keeps drawing people unto himself. And notice, Samuel keeps responding. Praise the Lord for this young man. It says, The Lord called Samuel again a third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. You did. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Now, Eli was deaf to the Lord's voice for himself. But yet after three times, he finally figured somebody's talking to this kid. And it's not me. So maybe it's God. And so he tells him, well, maybe God's talking to you. Because it's not me. And you know what? The Lord is calling him both unto salvation and unto service, just as he does to us. God doesn't call you just to be a pew potato, amen? He doesn't call you just to give you the get out of hell free card. He calls you to use you for his glory. With calling to salvation comes calling to service. And it's not a have to, it's a get to. It should be a natural outpouring of being called unto the Lord. Eli knows how to respond even though he hasn't done it himself. God keeps on calling this young man Samuel and he's going to use him in a mighty way. God may call us many times, but according to several scriptures in the Bible, there's going to come a time where man's heart is so hard he won't respond. It says in Proverbs 29, He who is often rebuked hardens his neck and will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Mark 6 says, For they did not understand because their heart was hardened. Revelation 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Don't wait until he calls you again. Respond this time. Amen? Whether it be unto salvation or it be unto a ministry he's got a calling on your life for. Let's respond today, not later. Verse 9. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He instructs him in how to respond to the Lord's calling upon his life. Say, speak, Lord. Now, why did the Lord speak? Why did he speak? 
to call Samuel unto an intimate relationship with him and to call him into service, to speak his prophetic word to a rebellious priest and a deaf and dumb generation. You know what? The word was rare in those days and God wanted to bring the word back to light and he was going to use this young boy by the name of Samuel. That's why he spoke. He spoke to call him unto intimate fellowship and to call him unto service. So, responding to the call of God, how can I prepare myself to hear from the Lord? Number one, by having an attentive ear, being ready and available. Being ready, anticipating that the Lord is going to talk to you. That's how you can hear from him. Number two, by having an obedient will. A heart submitted to do whatever the Lord commands, even if I don't fully understand, and even if it's not what I want to hear. Let me say that again. Even if it's not what I want to hear. I'm sending you to Zimbabwe. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, no. no. I, I, heaven's good, Zimbabwe not so much. I'm calling you to leave your job and go into the ministry full time. Uh, no, uh. I still, no. I'm not driving a 12-year-old beater car. I'm not doing that. You know, we start to give God conditions on what we will respond to. But let me tell you this. As you listen to the Lord and you're truly seeking the Lord, whatever He calls you to do will be a joy. If He calls you to go to Zimbabwe, you'll be stoked about going. And if He calls you into ministry, you'll be stoked about doing it. Amen? And so we need to see that God will speak. Now look what it says. Speak. Now how does He respond? Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. The Lord came and stood. I like that. That means the Lord was in the room. Amen? He was standing next to him. The Lord came and stood. Now, we don't know for sure, but it could have been Jesus standing in the room next to Samuel to talk to him. And he stands there and says, Samuel, Samuel, calls him twice this time. I called you once all the other times. You didn't know it was me. I'm going to call you twice. I'm going to make sure you're here. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak for your servant hears. Now, The Lord standing beside him, the Lord calls out to him. The word Lord there is Jehovah. So Jehovah. Now what's interesting is, what did he tell him to say in verse 9? Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And then what does he say in verse 10? Speak, for your servant hears. What word does he leave out? Lord. Why does he leave out the word Lord? Because I don't think he still recognizes the voice of God yet, and he's afraid to call someone God who may not be God. He's like, speak, let me find out who you are. Before I start calling you God, you better, I want to find out if you are God. And you know what? I think there's some wisdom that when someone brings us a word from God, we need to find out it is God before you attribute it to God. Amen? I can't tell you that people come to me with words from the Lord. Be careful about that, by the way. Does our God speak to people that way? Yes. But when they come, they got some of the most off-the-wall, bizarre stuff sometimes. I'm like, that. let me tell you right now, that's not God. Well, how do you know? Because it contradicts the Bible. Yeah, but God told me. God, someone told you, but it wasn't God. Amen? And so he doesn't say Jehovah here. His faith still needs to be built up. Instead, he says, speak, unable to recognize his voice. And again, the way to know if it's really His voice, how do we know it's His voice? We compare it to the Word of God. Amen? Whatever we hear from a man speaking on behalf of the Lord will always agree with the Word of God. Then the Lord said to Samuel, 
Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears will tingle. That's interesting, isn't it? The word tingle there means quiver and rattle together. What I'm about to tell you is going to make people's ears rattle. That's what he tells Samuel. Their ears are going to be banging together, they're going to quiver, and his words would be piercing to all of Israel. It would astound them, all who heard it. And this young boy was going to be the one to deliver it on behalf of God because there was nobody else available. God is going to get his will done, even if he has to use a child to do it. And in this case, that's what he's going to do. It's going to require faith and submission and obedience on the heart of this young man. Look what it says in verse 12. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Remember back in the previous chapter, some years earlier, God had told them, your sons are going to die in one day, and the line of the priest is going to be removed from you. You know what? It's possible that nobody else knew that but Eli. And now... That judgment that was revealed to him in secret is now going to come out into the light and everybody's going to know it. And the same is true about our sin, you guys. We may have sin that we hide in secret, but there's going to come a time we're going to stand before Almighty God and it's going to be brought out into the light. Amen? And so let's, get, let's handle it now. Let's not try to hide it from the Lord. Let's bring it before the Lord. And God would fulfill His earlier word declared to the prophet. Verse 13 and 14. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. Here's more proof that he did not follow up his words with actions. He didn't restrain them. He didn't take action against them. He told them, you shouldn't do that, and he did nothing about it. I said this on Sunday, the worst thing a parent can do is talk and do nothing else. Your kids are gamblers. If all you ever do is threaten them, they're going to keep doing it. Amen? So instead of threatening them, take some action. And I know it's not always easy to do. But he's telling them in this verse, because his sons made themselves vile, he did not restrain them. Eli was not being the spiritual leader, and because of it, there were going to be consequences. And therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. How heavy is that? They're going to be removed from the priestly line, and you know what? From this day forward, all of their generations after them are going to be walking outside of God's will. Man, it's heavy. When we sin, we impact the generation to come. When you go out and cheat on your wife, you impact your whole family. When you go out and do things dishonestly and ungodly and do things at work, you're dishonoring the name of the Lord and you're bringing harm, not just to yourself, but to others, and most importantly, to the name of God. God's going to raise up a faithful servant and a prophet to minister to Israel, while at the same time bringing judgment upon the sinful and unfaithful house of Eli. Eli's ears were dull, he had grown weary and disobedient, He could no longer hear to respond in obedience to God's voice and he had ceased to be the spiritual leader that God had called him to be. So God's going to raise up a prophet instead with an attentive ear, with an obedient heart to take his place. One who would hear his voice and respond in faithful obedience. So he wakes up and the message he gets is, you know Eli, the guy that's basically been like your dad? Well, you know your, your quote, brothers in a sense, who are living with you in the house, well, they're both going to get struck down dead. 
and Eli's family, the priesthood's getting ripped from them. And he tells this to a young boy. Now, how is he going to respond? So responding to the call of God, let's see how he responds to this word coming from the Lord. Notice he responds with a humble heart. Now, let me say this. Do you think he might have had some run-ins with Hophni and Phinehas? What do you think? You know, you bring in the kid brother in a sense, right? And we're partying and we're doing stuff we shouldn't do and this kid's getting in the way. And again, this is all supposition on your pastor's part. I have no proof of this. But I can't imagine having three guys living in the same house and that they're not stirring it up with their little brother. Especially if they're stealing from people and sleeping with women in the tabernacle. I have an idea. They've got problems in every aspect of life. Amen? Now, he gets the word they're both going to die. Now, wouldn't there at least be a part of your flesh that would be kind of excited to go and tell them? Hey, Hophni and Phinehas, got a word for you. You're going to die. God's going to strike you both down dead in one day. How about that? Remember the noogies you gave me? How about that? You know, here it comes. Here comes the revenge of God. You know, and you know what? Sometimes people approach you thinking they've heard from the Lord, and they come almost with that attitude. There's almost an arrogance. Or, you know, the Lord told me to share this with you. I was hanging out with God, and since you can't hear from Him, I'm here to just lay this truth on you. Let me share this with you. You know what? If someone's truly speaking for God, they're going to come with humility. Amen? And they're going to come... And you know, most of the time when I've heard from people that really, I believe, have spoken from God, it almost always starts off this way. You know what? There's something on my heart, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not even sure if it's from the Lord. But let me share it with you, and if I'm wrong, forgive me. But if it speaks to you, then just take it for what it's worth. And then they share with all humility. And those are the times, many times, when I've heard from the Lord, when I know it's the Lord. So it's got to be a humble heart. And when we hear from God, that's how we will respond. And notice, look what it says. So Samuel laid down until morning, verse 15, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He got up the next morning, and what did he do? He started doing his job. He got up in the morning. He didn't run in to tell Eli, guess what? Should have been nicer to me. He didn't say that. He, ran, he went out and opened up the door so the people could come in and sacrifice. He had no real desire to go and tell Eli the bad news. He was still submitted to the man, even though he knew the man was in rebellion and God was going to bring judgments against him. Because you know what? It was God would be the one that would judge him, not Eli. This reminds me of the picture of David and Saul. Did David know he was anointed king long before he became king? What's the answer? Absolutely. But yet, did he ever? Remember, he even cut Saul's robe and he was grieved by it. Because God is the one who rises up and God is the one who brings down. And you don't, well, I've been anointed by God and that's my position, so you just need to move. That's not the Lord, amen? If God is in it, there will be humility. I've had people tell me that, by the way. I had a guy when I was a youth pastor in San Jose come up and tell me that God had told him he was supposed to take my place. I said, really? When God tells me, I'll give you a call. (laughs) Amazing. With great arrogance. This this youth group needs to take the next step, and I'm the one God called to do it, and I'm here to just let you know that, you know, maybe next Sunday I should just take over for you. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Worst thing I could ever do to these kids is give them to you. (laughs) When somebody comes, they'll come with humility. Now, look at this. He knows Eli's future. He knows his fate. But this young child shows great maturity. He didn't brag about the Lord coming to him. He didn't come to usurp uh, 
Eli's authority. He remained faithful to both his calling to serve in the tent and to Eli's authority. Look what it says. Verse 15, second half. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. He wasn't rejoicing in bringing bad news. He was humble and broken about it. He didn't rejoice in having the inside scoop or being able to tell of Hophni and Phinehas' soon demise. But God will, and you know what, I don't believe God is ever going to entrust a word from him to someone who's going to gloat about it and be excited about bad news. Amen? That's just not the person God's going to use. Next time someone comes to you, test it against the word and check their heart. Make sure it's delivered with brokenness and humility, not arrogance and an attitude. Verse 16 and 17. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, here I am. Now, again, at this point, does he know that Eli is going to be removed? But he still says, here I am. He still shows great respect to Eli, even though he knows Eli's days are numbered. He could have said, you know, could have given the substitute teacher mentality. You're only here for a little while longer, so you can't even grade my stuff anyway. And by the time the report cards come out, you're going to be gone, so whatever. I don't care what you think. I'm going to be here longer than you. He doesn't do that. Instead, he's still respectful. He still says, here I am. Eli's rebellion had broken communion with God. He couldn't hear from the Lord. But you know what? At the same time, we still see that he's shown respect by this young boy that God was going to speak through. And then he says in verse 17, And he said, What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Well, guess what? He's got to talk now, doesn't he? Please tell me what the Lord said. Oh. And by the way, if you don't tell me, God do that to you and more also. Oh, I better tell him. You know, I've had times like this where I've had a discussion and someone's wanted me to share with them what I feel like the Lord said, and it's very difficult. But again, he wants to walk in obedience to the Lord. Verse 18, we're almost done here. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what what seems good to him. Look at the response of Eli. Why does Eli respond this way? Because he's known for a long time it's coming. He had told him years ago, this is what's going to happen. He knew it was coming. And so because of that, when he tells him, God said he's going to do it, he said, well, okay. Whatever the Lord thinks is best. He didn't hold back from speaking God's judgment to the high priest. And though harshly judged, Eli does not question the righteous judgment of God. Last point, when responding to the call of God, we need to have an attentive ear. We need to have an obedient will. We need to have a humble heart. And lastly, we need to have a a godly walk. One who is growing in the Lord and walking with the Lord. Last few verses. Verse 19. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. God didn't just speak to him once, but he continued to speak to Samuel as he continued to grow and walk with the Lord. As the Lord speaks to us, we want to continue to hear from Him. We continue to walk with Him. And we see that this young man, it says that not one of his words hit the ground. Nothing was hid from him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. That means when his words came out, they had impact on the people that he talked to. And from Dan to Beersheba, that's just an Israel way of saying 
from the northernmost part of Israel to the southernmost part of Israel, everyone in Israel knew that Samuel was the prophet of God. Everyone. Last verse. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. How did the Lord reveal Himself? What does it say? By the word of the Lord. You want to see God? You want to know God? Spend time in His word. He had been... The word of God was rare in those days. Then this young man stood up and started proclaiming the word with great boldness. And yet again, they saw the Lord. The Lord was high and lifted up yet again in Israel. Guys, he's rare in this country today. So we need to speak the word with great boldness that he might be high and lifted up yet again. Amen? He was rarer in Israel than he is here today. And we can see the restoration in our country as well. If you want to clearly hear from God. And Him to be glorified, again, always look to His Word. So in closing, responding to the call of God. How can I prepare myself to hear from the Lord? By having an attentive ear, being ready and available to hear from the Lord. Spend some quiet time with Him so He can speak to you. When did, remember whom He spoke to? A young child. When did He speak? When He was ministering to the Lord. Where did He speak? In the tabernacle. Why did He speak? To give direction to His life and to call Him unto Himself. Number two, by having an obedient will. A heart submitted to do whatever the Lord commands, even if I don't understand or it's not what I want. Along with an obedient will, a humble heart, hearing from the Lord, responding in reverence, and lastly, a godly walk, one who is growing in the Lord and walking with the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. We thank You for this example of how You can use even a young boy like Samuel in the midst of a godless and wicked generation when nobody was standing for you, when even the high priests were corrupt, when the sacrifices were tainted. And Lord, in the middle of all that, you used a young boy in a mighty and a powerful way. Lord, may that be an encouragement to everyone in this room that you can use us, even us. Lord, in the midst of a time when much of the world around us is godless, when your word has been removed from, from the schools, when prayer is being removed from the, the, the public square, when so much of who you are is being watered down and dialed down, Lord, this is a time when you would call us to stand up for you. Lord, we say, here I am. When you call us, here we are, Lord. Use us for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, may we respond in faithful obedience to the calling you placed upon our lives. May we not be complacent and compromising like Eli, but faithful and obedient like Samuel. May we learn from this example, Lord. May we follow you with our whole hearts. May we walk in the center of your will. Lord, we need your help. Without you, we can do nothing. Pour out your Spirit upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.